Hello and welcome to Something Interesting. I'm Albert Berg, and for today's interesting thing, I want to talk to you about an idea that I've been thinking about for a very long time, which means I probably won't do a great job of explaining it properly, or at least I'll be more aware than usual of the fact that I'm not doing a good job of explaining it properly. And to work our way into this thing, I think it's a good idea to start at the Copernican Revolution. Now, the Copernican Revolution, if you need your memory jogged, was the moment in time when Copernicus said, look at this model of the universe we have. We have been thinking that the sun and the stars and the planets all rotated around the earth, but I have a different idea. I think that actually the thing that is at the center of the universe is the sun and that the earth rotates around that and also all of the other planets. This was a huge moment for science. In fact, other kinds of revolutions since then have been called Copernican revolutions. Anything that fundamentally alters the way people were thinking about the world gets referenced back to Copernicus because of how much of an earth-shaking idea that this was. But you, if you knew that story, probably didn't know the full extent of what the Copernican Revolution entailed. And this is the part that gets into the thing that I think is really interesting about this story. Because before Copernicus, there was a long tradition of astronomers looking up at the heavens and trying to figure out a good way to model what was happening with the planets and the stars. This goes back at least as far as Plato. The philosopher Plato, who uh, was obviously popularized most of Socrates' teachings, he wrote down at least everything that we know about Socrates, whether or not it's exactly accurate, it's kind of beside the point. But... Plato wrote all this stuff down and had some ideas of his own, and he talked about his conception of the heavens. And in Plato's conception of the heavens, there was nothing more perfect than the heavenly bodies. And because there was nothing more perfect than the heavenly bodies, the heavenly bodies must adhere to a very perfect shape in their transit of the sky. For Plato... That shape was a circle. However, Plato was able to look up at the planets and see that they did not follow perfect circles across the sky. The stars and the sun and the moon, all of those worked perfectly well with the circle theory because they just kind of tracked their way along across the night sky. You could make a circle around the earth and you could see how in, in your mind how all of that would work out but if you looked at the planets like Mars and Venus they did this little jog thing in the sky where they would be going one direction for a while and then they'd kind of go back a little bit and then they go forward again and Plato didn't like this 
He's thinking about the heavens. He's thinking about how all the planets go around the Earth. And he says, this is not working out the way that I need it to work out. The, the heavens are not being perfect. I know the heavens are perfect. I've got a challenge for those of you going into the future. All of you junior astronomers out there reading my work. Here's a, a problem for you to solve. Figure out a system of circles that you can add together to make the motion of the planets work. It doesn't matter how many circles you use, you can uh, pile a whole bunch of them onto each other, but there it has to be circles, and it has to represent what we're seeing in the sky. Because what we're seeing in the sky is not working with the sort of basic you know, regular circle model that I am able to come up with. So you guys, you work on finding some better models for how we can match up circles and our observations. And for literally thousands of years, astronomers worked on this problem that Plato posed for them. They said, okay, how can we stack up circles so that they mimic and predict the motion of the planets. However, they did not say in their theories of these circles that one of these things is the true theory. What they were working with was we need to come up with a way to represent, to predict what we see in the night sky with a theory. So we're going to we're going to find a theory that matches what we're looking at better and better and better. And it doesn't really matter one way or another whether we're getting to some kind of absolute truth. We're just looking for a better pattern to predict what we're seeing. And Copernicus when he comes along with his idea of putting the, the sun at the center and the earth going around the sun. So the story goes that he and his followers turned away from this idea of simply modeling what we observe as best we can. And what Copernicus said was, no, my idea is not just a better model. What we are seeing here is not just an improvement in a way to match up with what we see in the world. There is a specific philosophical term for this uh, called saving the appearances. And, and there's a book called saving the appearances, which really kicked me down thinking about all of this for as long as I have by a guy named Bo Owen Barfield, really worthwhile book to check out. It'll make your head spin, or at least it made my head spin. So the, this idea of saving the appearances gets rejected by Copernicus. He says, no, it's not just a better representation that matches up with our observations. It's not just a better model. The sun is, is at the center. The earth does, in reality, 
go around it. And this, if you believe Barfield and others, is the real sticking point that Copernicus has with the Catholic Church. If you're familiar with the Copernican Revolution, you know that Copernicus and the people who followed him eventually got into hot water with the church. And it wasn't just the Catholics. The Protestants pretty much hated the whole Copernican model as well. Catholics actually kind of tolerated it for a little bit and then eventually decided, no, we don't like this. But if you listen to Barfield and others speak about this revolution, they say it wasn't simply a problem of saying, well, the Bible says that the things go around the earth and you're saying that the things go around the sun. So we have a, a, a conflict here. It was in Copernicus saying this idea represents reality, some deeper sense of reality. It goes beyond just our observations and it reflects a real, true thing in the world beyond just, hey, here's what we can see. And the Catholic Church had a problem with Copernicus making final truth statements. Now, there is a sense where Copernicus wins. At least in the battleground of ideas, we have accepted the proposal that science can make truth statements. However, it turns out that things are not exactly as finished as the current understanding of scientific theories would have you believe. Because there are two ways of interpreting science that basically mirror what I've already mentioned with the saving the appearances argument. There is instrumentalism and there is scientific realism. Now, scientific realism says that if a theory predicts something and we have components of that theory needed to make that prediction, then those components represent real, actual things in the universe. So, for instance, if we need to explain what we're seeing with a particle accelerator and we develop the idea of atoms, atoms are real actual things that exist in the universe, whether or not we directly observe them or not, if they create a theory which matches up with our observations, then they must themselves be real. And this goes beyond just atoms, right? There's, there's a whole host of different explanations that science tries to come up with for the physical world, uh, going down further into subatomic particles and weird things like string theory and multiple dimensions that are wrapped around each other in little tiny balls. And the scientific realism view says all of that stuff actually definitely exists because that's the theory that best fits what we observe. So though it doesn't make any sense to say those things aren't real. 
Instrumentalism takes a different approach. Instrumentalism goes back to the idea of saving the appearances and says a theory is only as useful as its ability to predict. A theory that we come up with of the universe can tell us whether or not something is going to happen, right? If it, like if, if I throw a billiard ball across a pool table and it bounces into another billiard ball, if I have some mathematical measuring stuff that says how fast the billiard ball was going, how much friction there is on the surface of the billiard table, then I can come up with a way to say where the two the other billiard balls are going to end up based on Newtonian mechanics. Newtonian mechanics is as correct as it needs to be to predict where the billiard balls end up, but it doesn't necessarily make any statements about what is true about the universe. And this applies to all branches of science. If you're, if you're an instrumentalist, you don't necessarily think of everything that you come up with in a theory of the world as being a real thing. Now, this might rub people the wrong way because if you've gotten used to the standard idea of how science is taught and understood, it's it's usually presented as being some kind of truth statement. Now, science even scientific realism will say, well, we could be wrong about this, right? Scientific realism will admit, maybe we are wrong about up quarks and down quarks. Maybe we are wrong about string theory. Maybe we are wrong about the dimensions wrapping around each other. We, we could say that those things may or may not be true, but they have a truth value. There, there must be they must either be true or false and if they are not true then they're not actually valuable to us we need to keep searching for the real real thing underneath all of that and there are some very famous scientists who have actually disagreed with this idea and the most famous one is probably Schrodinger now Schrodinger was working on some very complicated mathematical explanations for quantum mechanics. And he did a great job. He came up with some stuff that really was very useful to scientists to figure out how a quantum system was going to work out. He, he figured out the whole wave-particle measuring problem. I don't want to try to go into explaining that if you don't know the, the double-slit experiment that sort of really confounded most of science uh, in the early 20th century. I highly recommend looking it up, but I'm not going to try to explain it here. But he developed some mathematical equations that solved that conundrum for science. But he took those equations and he held them up to the light and he said, you know, these are good equations. They are. They have some really helpful, productive ways of explaining what is going to happen and maybe modeling new things that could happen. There's just one problem. 
if we take this to its logical conclusion, then we have things that have happened and not happened at the same time. And this is where we get the famous Schrodinger's cat thought experiment. Schrodinger talked about the idea of quantum decay being indeterministic until you measure it. And he said, well, if that's the case, if if this formula that I, that I've worked out is real, then what you can have is a cat that is simultaneously alive and dead if we do this experiment in a specific way and interpret these ideas in a particular framework. And Schrodinger wasn't saying, well, yeah, and, and there not that amazing? Quantum mechanics allows for cats to be alive and dead. What Schrodinger was saying was, no, if you look at this and you think that this is a direct real, true reflection of reality. If you take my equations and say, well, the math works, so it must be true, you're kind of dumb. Because cats don't be alive and be dead at the same time. They either be alive or be dead. Schrodinger probably said it a lot more elegantly than that. But he condensed his argument into saying, I am not making a final truth statement about what is happening if there, if you can even say there is a thing happening at the subatomic level. All I've done is create some equations that accurately predict how these reactions are going to happen. And the idea here is that there is no way to ultimately access final truth. And this is what I, I believe. I, I, I'm going to tell you, if you couldn't tell already, that I tend to lead more toward the instrumentalist interpretation of science. Because the idea that there is some reality out there beyond our observational reality... That's a very, very old idea. And that also goes back at least as far as Plato and Socrates. If you, if you go back to those guys, they talked about the forms. The ideal version of things that existed somewhere in some higher plane of reality. And in essence, the shadow that they cast became our experienced reality. That somewhere out there in some other realm, there was a version of truth that was that was absolute and perfect, and there was this process by which it got translated into reality, and, and reality was imperfect and messy and dirty, but there is this other realm that is true it's not beset by these kinds of deceptions that we are surrounded by if we are only dealing with our perception of the world because obviously we are all subject to bias and to self-deception and Plato said well there has to be something beyond that but because I can't observe it in the world it must exist on a higher plane and 
because Plato created this idea, we've we've become attached to it in a sense. We think that we've somehow gotten away from this idea of the the two worlds mythology because the the initial platonic idea was that there was this other world this world of the forms that cast its shadow onto the the real world and then eventually through history that gets morphed into the christian idea that there is a spiritual world that god inhabits and that Plato is really sort of deriving this idea of a spiritual world that casts its shadow into our world. And as on, you know, the Lord's prayer says on the, may it be done on earth as it is in heaven. I butchered that quote, but you get the basic idea. The Augustine at a certain point makes the comparison and says, okay, that's what Jesus was talking about in the Lord's prayer. We have the, the real, forms that Plato was talking about those are the heavenly forms and they're being translated down into reality and we might be tempted to think you know what science got rid of that science got rid of the the real forms and the spiritual realm and now we're dealing with something better but it didn't if you're a scientific realist if you believe that there is a real world out there that is different from the world that we experience that is creating the world that we are experiencing you are still locked into that platonic ideal form philosophy and it may be true it could be the case that we're living in a 14-dimensional reality with everything made out of strings and... Uh, I'm forgetting my Brian Greene books that I've read <laughs> to go any further than that. But it could be true that all of the wild and crazy ideas of science are a literal thing that is creating the observational world that we can inhabit. But there's no way to know that for sure. The only final statement that you can make, in my opinion, is that those ideas predict. They are useful tools to match up with the world that we observe. They create a model with which we can continuously delve further and further and further into the smaller and smaller and smaller and the higher and higher and higher energy states of being. But when we get into arguments about whether there's ultimately actually a 14-dimensional space and everything is made out of strings, I think we miss the way in which we are very much like the Catholic theologians arguing about how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. And if you're an instrumentalist... You can still talk about all the stuff that a scientific realist will talk about. You can still say atoms do these kinds of things in the sense that, well, assuming that this model of atoms is correct, then they will act in this predictable way. You don't lose any of the power of science. You just think about it in a different 
philosophical sense. And you become open to the possibility that there may be more than one way to describe the world as it exists. The, the best example of this for the lay person would be the shadow experiment. And obviously this is a audio medium, not a visual medium, so I cannot share this with you. But imagine a shadow of a rabbit being cast on a wall. A reasonable interpretation of that shadow would be to say there is a rabbit with a light behind it and the rabbit is casting a shadow onto the wall. But in reality, there are many possible combinations of objects that could occlude the light in such a way that it would create a rabbit-looking shadow. And if you only have the shadow to look at, there is no way to know for sure what is creating the shadow. The best you can do is come up with a theory that is workable, that you can actually use, right? And that tells you something about what is going to happen with the shadow. That is the idea of saving the appearances and instrumentalism. And I hope that it was interesting to you. It's been so interesting to me that I've been running over it in my head many, many times throughout the years since I first read Owen Barfield's work on it. Again, I highly recommend that book. I feel very sheepish that it was only yesterday that I was able to research into this and find out that the terms instrumentalism and scientific realism applied to this exact debate that I'd been mulling over in my head and that lots of other people had been talking about it too. But that's life. You think you've had some interesting ideas and you find out that everybody else in the history of philosophy has also had those ideas. And that's okay. Originality's overrated. Just keep thinking and you'll get somewhere cool. I hope that you enjoyed this. If you did, tell a friend about us, leave a review at whatever podcast service you prefer to use, and I will see you guys next time with another interesting thing. Take care, y'all.